Okay, so we're in uh, Deuteronomy 26, like I said, and we went last portion through a whole bunch of, of kind of detailed instructions and commandments that, that uh, really uh, explain and expound upon the fabric of the culture of the life of, of the people of God and how they're supposed to conduct themselves with each other and in different situations, which really boil down to uh, an inner state of their own heart and mind that they're ha- supposed to have in their devotion towards God. And so then what I see is kind of that continuing theme somewhat when they go, it, it seemingly changes gears when we get into chapter 26, but I think it really is carrying the same theme of this idea of who you are before God, what the condition of your heart is supposed to be, how you're supposed to continually remind yourself. And so many of the things that we read all through the Torah and in the Bible, and, and really, as you read the Bible, it's kind of a, a, a rotating theme said eight different ways from Sunday, you know, essentially. Remember me, hear me, obey me, walk it out. I'll bless you if you do. I'll curse you if you don't. Or you'll curse yourself, basically, if you don't, because it's just the natural ramifications of things. And so... What it really boils down to, though, and what it really shows is the condition of the heart of the person that's inside them. And so when we're going to read this beginning passage of them bringing in the first fruits and them having to profess before God that their father was a wandering Syrian, you know, basically you're saying, I am nothing, I came from nothing, and the only reason that I can now give back to God is because of, of his, his grace and his love and his mercy towards me. And, and so it keeps the person, you know, the child of God, in, in the state in which they're supposed to be in, in their life to not raise themselves up above where they should be saying, you know, when you get into the land, it says, and you, you, you get houses and vineyards and animals and lands and property that you didn't work for, and you eventually grow fat and lazy and, you're, and say... I, my hand acquired all these things. And you forget that it was God who rescued you from being a slave. Whether you came out of opulence or you have come out of, of extreme poverty, it, that's not so much what God's meaning. You're, you're, you're separated as a slave um, from death and from you know, the, the kingdom of darkness of Satan, basically, and serving your own endeavors and lusts of your own life trying to fill up um, fill up in our lives what where where God should be in our lives in our in our service and our obedience to him we are redeemed out of that separation and brought into God's family where then there there's a way to live and conduct yourself in that family and, and when you do the father cares for you and he takes care of you and he watches over and he blesses and he provides but he also disciplines when there's disobedience. And so, as we read in, in this very its opening chapter of bringing in the first fruits, it really hits home with the state of where that person is at in their heart. And it even tells them when they get there and they bring their first fruits, this is what you're to say. 
You know, so God even gives you what you're supposed to say to, again, remind you that, you know, you are a child of God and you're only there because of his faithfulness to his covenants and his word and his promises that, that got you there. So we'll start out and we'll read a little bit of 26 and then um, I'll, I'll see if I actually read my notes and talk about it at all. Okay, chapter 26, verse 1. It shall be when thou art come into the land which Jehovah thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possess it and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring out of thy land, that Jehovah thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go into the place which Jehovah thy God shall to choose to place his name there. Thou shalt go unto the priest, and shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto Jehovah thy God, that I am come unto the country which Jehovah swore unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of Jehovah thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before Jehovah thy God, Assyrian, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto Jehovah, God of our fathers, Jehovah heard our voice. And looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And Jehovah brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terribleness, with signs and wonders. And he's brought us unto this place, and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the firstfruits of the land which thou, O Jehovah, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before Jehovah thy God, and worship there before Jehovah thy God. So it's this recognition that they, their fathers went down, were, went down, had nothing, a perishing Syrian, you know, and, and God preserved him and made him a great and mighty nation in Egypt, and then he, he conquered Egypt and brought him out with a great and mighty ham and terrible wonders, and then he brought him into the land and gave him all these wonderful things, the land of milk and honey and provided to them. And so because of that, as, as, a, as a thanks to God, you then give back the first fruit of your harvest to him. So whatever comes off the first of the tree, the first sheaf, the first you know apples and pears or nectarines, you then bring that up and you and you basically thank God for what He's done and 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 worship Him for that. And I just love it. It's it's just such a beautiful thing. And eleven, and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which Jehovah thy God hath done hath given unto thee, unto thine house, thou the Levite and the stranger that is among you. And so God provides these things that the community as a whole should work as it is as it should be, you know. But if the people don't listen and they don't hear, that's when it all all falls apart and breaks down. And that's what we're going to read about with the blessings and the curses that are placed on Mount. Um, uh, Mount Nabal. So, you bring the first fruits to the altar of God. You profess your history and how God has brought you and your family through it all. There you stand as a testimony of His faithfulness. Because of this, you give back the first fruits of all He has provided for you. And these are bold and profound statements, stating that we are not our own property to live our lives however we choose. 
We are redeemed by the God of Israel who loves and provides for us. So we have obligations with our time, money, and lives to use uh, portions of these to serve uh, and worship God with. And so, you know, they, they didn't just get into the land and get to go do whatever the heck they wanted, you know, and just fly by the fruit of the Spirit and, you know, feel good and however they felt like. God gave them specific commandments and said, you know, these are these guidelines and these are the roadmaps and the signs that are going to keep you on the track that you're supposed to be in so you don't forget me. You know, you can't just go in there and then go, woo, and do whatever you want, you know, with what I provide for you. Although that's what they did do, and they reaped the consequences of that. But they're to use and take portions of everything that God has given them um, so that they remember, really, their reliance on God and where it's all coming from. All right, so as we go into chapter 12, uh, it talks about the third-year tithe that's for the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and... Uh, the widow. And then, so they have to take these. This is re- kind of cool, you know, because to me, uh, it reminds me of, so they're supposed to take um, this 10% every third year. It was to go to those who didn't have an ability to support themselves. The Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, you know, orphans and, and widows. And so this money was supposed to be there to support them when they were in need. And but but what it says is um, so we'll we'll just read it we'll read it here we'll start in verse thirteen so they're supposed to save it up and eat it and so they can eat it and be filled thirteen then thou shalt say before Yehovah thy God I have brought away the hallowed things out of my house and have also given unto the Levite strangerless father little widow according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me I have not transgressed thy commandments neither have I forgotten them. And, and so you're supposed to take these things, give it to them. Then you have to stand in front of God and say, I did what I was supposed to, and I didn't forget. You know, we, so God doesn't, he doesn't just gloss over forgetting. You know, you're not allowed to use that as an excuse because forgetting is really just lack of preparation to do what's right. Because if, you know, none of us forget to go to work. You know, none of us, none of us forget to do anything we really want to do, you know, is the reality. And so what God's saying is, you're going to stand there and you're going to tell me whether or not you made this a priority in your life. And so, I, you know, you're not going to tell me you forgot. You know, you, he, as my dad used to say, you didn't remember because you didn't want to remember. <laughs> and it's true. And I remember thinking this little kid, no, I forgot, no, you know, honest. But the reality is, you do what you want to do. All of us do. You know, we tend, we always want to shirk our responsibility. We want to blame someone else. Where's that model come from? It was the woman you gave me. It was the snake who gave me to eat. It's not my fault. It's, you know, I didn't remember, you know. No, it is your fault because... We do what we want to do, and we choose what we want to do. And so then we need to man up and accept the consequences thereof. So God says, listen, you are nothing but a wandering desert dweller who's nobody and nothing. And I, in my grace and mercy, provided for you. So when you get in the land, you're going to bring in the first fruits, and you're going to remember that you're a lowly nothing, nothing, 
worm on the ground that just be happy I'm not stamping you out. <laughs> Quite something like that. And you're to bring what I tell you to, so everything will work the way it's supposed to, so that I can bless you. Because just like a parent who looks at their children and is like, why do you do this? I'm just trying to help you out. You know, the stupid kid, you know, wants to, you know, run wildly into, you know, destruction. You know, and happily enjoying the road to perdition. And so, just as we have to deal with our own children, God has having to deal with us and our own children. And so he gives us the, the sticker board on the refrigerator to remind us, you know, that you're only here because I, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. You know, it's the kind of the same thing. And so they're not allowed to say, oh, I forgot. No, you have responsibilities you're supposed to confess that every year. So this is a yearly thing. And that's why God gives us these cycles of holidays and festivals and Sabbath and weekly, you know, uh, even even down to the t- why even now, you know, devout Jewish people would play three, pray three times a day. And why David, uh, Daniel prayed three times a day because even at the temple in the tabernacle, three times a day there were these these offerings that were burnt up under God, and so it was a continual uh, interweaving of interaction and uh, uh, connecting with God so that you couldn't and would not allow yourself to stray from, from understanding, you know, your, your position in Him in all that you do, and all that you say. And that's why he says, you know, buy them for a sign on your hand. Those should be frontlets on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gate. It should be everywhere and everything you do reminded of this so that you remember your father was a one, you know, don't elevate yourself beyond what you really are. You know, you are his servants. And, and that's a good thing because... God only provides for those who are in his family. Outside the garden where the, where the gardener tends is you're left to your own devices. So if the tree next to you falls and breaks off your limb, well, too bad. But in the garden, the farmer takes care of everything so that doesn't happen. And that's what God does for us. But outside of that, good luck. You know, you may look like you're having a good time, but really it, it only leads to demise. And you're not going to produce fruit out there. So they're supposed to provide for those who, who cannot provide for them. So they have to present and they have to state before God. Just like a kid, a parent looks him in the eye and you say, look me in the eye. Did you X, Y, and Z? And the kid, I start standing. Look me in the eye with Kalila. I used to, to get her to look at me. I used to have to hold her face and cup her eyes like this. So I could look at her and look me in the eye. And so sometimes God has to do that. He's got to grab our chubby little face, cup his hands around our eyes, and next to his face, look me in the eye. Because otherwise, you know, to, to, you know, and that's what, that's what happened at Mount Sinai. They said, we can't look at God. We'll die. We can't take the pressure. You go, Moses. Why? Because... They, they couldn't and they didn't want to stand before God with a clear conscience. It's kind of the old saying, if, if you're doing what's right and you're telling the truth, you have nothing to be afraid of. You know, 
if you're not breaking the law, the cops aren't going to come after you. You know, that's the whole, with all this, the police stuff that's happening in our culture in our own day. It's not the police stuff. It's with all the wickedness that's happening in our, you know. If you weren't doing something bad, the cops would show up. You know? So, don't complain when you got shot for doing something stupid. Okay, off of that. So, they have to say, they present their presence before God and they make their statement, I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I've done according to all that has been commanded of me. You know, that's, that's not, I tried my best. You know, that's not what it says there. I worked really hard and I, that's a, it doesn't work there either. You know, there's no, there is no halfway. You either did what you were supposed to, or you didn't. And 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 so, it took a life style that was molded such that they could be obedient. And it's quite frankly more difficult now in our day and age because we're in captivity. We're not serving under a righteous king, just judges, we are uh, slaves to a foreign power. And so, the truth of the matter is, you know, we can't even bring our third year tithe for the Levite, the father, the widow. We can do our best in the community and those around us, and, um, but we are, we are uh, heavily oppressed, and things are not as they should be. So it's distorted, and we can't as easily copy and paste these specific actions into our life. But none of them have been done away with. None of them have changed because God never is done away with and God never changes. And because, and he says at the end of the chapter, he says in 26, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So, just because, because yeah, God knew we'd be scattered out here someday all around and would not be able to do things as, as we should. But we still are to confirm these things in our hearts. We're to remember who we are as God's people and to seek with all our heart, soul, and mind to turn back to Him, to repent from our sins, and to start instilling in our lives these principles and these ways of God such that He will be glorified and He will have a people ready and willing that when they get into the land, they will start doing these things. Not like it is today over in Israel where they're in the land and still thumbing their nose at God's ways and, and trying to justify themselves on a global stage and world according to the world's morality and it's just gonna fall flat and and he tells us he says skip it ahead here but that's okay in 28 this is after all the uh chapter 28 after all the cursings and the blessings that they put up on mount Abal and mount garrison because when they were supposed to go in they were supposed to write the torah on these white stones and on the altar and plaster it and then they were supposed to put half the people up there and they were supposed to say the blessings and the cursing and all the people would confirm it. And and so then when they went in, 
that that uh, he said he will bless them if they heart. Uh, well, let's just go to twenty eight verse one. It shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of Yahweh thy God to observe and do all his commandments. So I command thee this day, Yahweh thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of Jehovah thy God. Blessed will be in the city and everything, and you'll be happy, great. Go down to verse 10. All the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of Jehovah thy God, and they shall be afraid of thee. But, but right now, you know, we are not confirming all the words of Jehovah. And the law to do them. And so we are cursed. And we're leaving out the consequences of these curses. And Israel itself in the land right now is bringing curses on themselves. Because they won't do these things. And that's why the nations around them are not afraid of them. Because they don't look and see a people that the name of Yahweh their God is called upon. Them. They look and see a people that, that, that have one of the biggest gay parades in the world. You know, that that is a... A uh, huge, metro- a thriving metropolis that's, you know, you know, proudly a secular nation. But that is not what God has called His people to do. They're a peculiar people because as we get into, uh, He goes through all the curses, and as we go all into, uh, where, where is it? Uh, Oh, hang on. I have it in my notes. Because so, because, so they're re- renewing this covenant. And, um, okay. Uh, sorry. I want to find this. Okay, back in 26 verse 17. So they say all these things and they make all these covenants and and because God, he says here in 17, well, first it says, uh, this day, Yahweh thy God hath come, 16, thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So that's what the people of God are supposed to do. 17, you, thou hast avouched Yehovah this day to be thy God, to walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, judgments, and hearken unto his voice. So that's what they have avouched, they have vowed, they have promised to do. And so God, on his side, he says, 18, Yehovah hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, his personal property. And right now, you know, the people of God are... Are, are not at conducting themselves anymore as God's personal property because what does something that you own do? It does what you want it to do. The lawnmower doesn't go out and mow the neighbor's lawn. It mows your lawn. My kids obey me. They don't go obey whoever people. So why are the people of God not obeying God? Because they're rebellious. And they're stubborn and they're stiff-necked, and they have not. They, we're not doing this. We're not when we bring our first fruits to God, remembering that our father was a was a perishing Syrian, a nobody. Abraham was not the first Jew. He was a wicked idolater who humbled himself and had a heart 
to trust God and, and follow him. And that's why Yeshua calls out the Pharisees because they are not humble. They, as Stephen said to them, you are stiff-necked just as your fathers were. It doesn't go over very well with the leadership. But you can't, you know, and that's why we read about, we read about, maybe I was reading it with Torn or something, you know, even the, no, no, we were reading it. The king has to write his own copy of the Torah that he does not exalt his heart above his brethren. You're old, nothing! You know? But we forget our place with God. But that's why he's given us his commandments to remind us that. And that's why it's so important that we keep the Torah, even something as simple, not as simple, as the Sabbath. Because every week, Friday starts getting close to rolling around. And, you know, did you fill up the car before Shabbat comes? So you're not having to get gas on the way to Shabbat? Or did you prepare food? You know, it forces you to order your life and to remember you're not the captain of your own ship. God is. And we need to obey him as such. So. So we are... Uh, So they have to make these confessions that they have done according to all that is commanded. You've got to be able to stand in front of Dad and say, I have done my chores without looking away or in that back of your head and be like, ah, I did skip under the couch. You know, that's, you know, you're not supposed to do that. These passages are specifically written to the individual person because you, if every individual who's representing their household has to stand there and account for these things. You can't blend into the crowd. You can't go to mega church on Sunday and just be a face in the crowd that nobody knows, that nobody has any accountability to. Because that's what's happened in our culture in our day and age. There's, there's, no, there's no accountability with anybody. You know, you can sit in your house and, and do nothing or, or live a horribly wicked life in there and, and, and seemingly it doesn't impact anybody. And that's what's pervaded our culture now and nowadays too where it says, oh, well, whatever they're doing in our own house, as long as it's not hurting anybody, it doesn't really matter. Well, it's a bunch of crap because it, it, it's ruining you and you are a person in a community and, and it breaks down the community, especially in households with, with fathers specifically, men specifically. So they have to stand there and say these things. These are passages specifically written to the individual person. There is no blending into the crowd with God. Then, only, so, so it, it, pay attention to the procession there. They have to bring their gifts, be obedient. They have to say that they've done everything they're supposed to say. And only then... Once this is done, the individual then asks God to look down and bless Israel. You know, it's like the kid saying, you know, I do whatever the heck I want, but I still want all my allowance. You know? No. You get your allowance when you do what you're supposed to. And that's what God's basically telling them. So, 26, 19. And, uh, 
So anyway, yeah, that's what was basically my point. The individual has to do this. And only then can he ask God to bless Israel. So there's the important structure in the steps of these statements. They have to hear the commandments of God. So you first have to recognize that they're for you, that they're pertinent, and that you need to be living them out. Then you have to prepare your life, act on it obediently. And then you can ask for blessing. It's not the other way around. You can't ask for blessing without hearing the word of God, acting on it, and being obedient. That's how it works out in anything in our lives. And then, we, like I talked about, God avouches that, uh, we are to avouch that Yehovah is our God, we're to walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commandments, and judgments, and hear his voice. You know, so often I think that's, that's part of the, you know, like in, in, in our house, it's like, why are we always yelling? Why don't you hear me? You know? And so, but just like kids, you know, who tune out on that, you know, so we tend to tune out God in our lives. And so God says, you, you're to shema, you're to hear, and then respond appropriately and immediately. You know, what, one of the things that drives me the most crazy is you say something and you get that like five second delay. You know, you're just not, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, to be as merciful as God is to me. So, and then God avows that, avouches, we're his peculiar people, and that he will make us high above all people. So we have to trust him, that he is trust, that he is faithful to his word. Because we tend to think, if I obey God, you know, ah, panic. Well, we should be panicking on the other side if we don't obey God. But, but the world flips it around, and we tend to buy into that. But God says, no, if you obey me and you'll be my people, I'll make you high above all nations, and the nations will fear you. And you will be his holy people. So then, like I said, they get into the blessings and the curses um, that we won't go through all of that. Um, but basically it says, you know, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, all these curses will come upon you. And basically, you know, it'll get really, really bad. Um, just be mass chaos, which is what exactly happened. You know, all the prophecies of what, what happened um, were uh, came to fruition on Israel. And we are still living the consequences of that. Um, and uh, so that's basically our, our uh, Torah portion. So we want to turn up now to our Hophtal portion, which is in Isaiah chapter 60. We'll go through that. And I, I, I think the, a good, the good attachment between this Haftor portion and this Torah portion um, is this idea of Kalila, where um, where we all came from, you know, God basically pulled a people out of the nations for himself and made himself the nation of Israel, and he's continuing to pull people out of the nations to add to his people Israel, and so 
this this chapter is, is very messianic. It's very end time. Even when you read it, um, it's uh, it's almost like you can hear passages uh, in Revelation. You know, the sun will no longer shine, but God Himself will be the light. And it's talking about the you know the eventual fruition of His promises to His people uh, that that He. We'll circumcise our hearts, take out the heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, write his words in our heart, that that will be the motivation of our heart. And that's what being born again is. That's what's being grafted into the people of God is. It's the heart of Ruth that says, your people are my people and your God is my God. Where you go, I will go. You know, it's, there's a change in there, that spirit that only God does, that gives you this different motivation. And eventually, God's people will, instead of being all scattered about, be brought together as one, and he will rebuild the kingdom of Israel. And um, right now, that's not happened, but we're in that stage where we're turning back to God, wherever we are, with all our heart, soul, and strength, and he will come to us and be a little set-apart place for us, wherever we are. And so, um, we'll read some of this here. Chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of Yehovah has risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But Yehovah shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to see. Thy sons shall come from afar, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and shall show forth the praises of Yehovah. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Neboeth shall minister unto thee, and they shall come unto the acceptance on my and they shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud, and as the doves through the windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from afar, their silver and the gold with them, under the name of Yehovah thy God, to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy, uh, and have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually; they shall not be shut, day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. For nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish; yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, pine tree, boxed together to beautifully the uh, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflict thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of Yehovah, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and thou shalt suck the breast of the kings, and thou shalt know that I, Yehovah, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer. 
the mighty one of Jacob. For brass will I bring gold, for iron will I bring silver, for, bra for wood, brass, for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy wall salvation and thy gates praise. The sun shall no more light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. But Yahweh shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For Yehovah shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Thy people shall also be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation, and I, Yehovah, will hasten it in his time. Amen. All right. Our, uh, Apostolic scripture is in Luke. Yeah, just a great passage. Yeah, I know it's like any time today, you know. So that's that's what we're waiting for when God will come and He will reign and and righteousness will be restored, you know. But there's also passages too that says, you know, we read this song, "Swords will be beaten into plowshares." But it, there's other passages too, and they, days are coming, I believe, where. The plowshares will be beaten into swords because there is a time of, I believe, battle that will come um, for the very existence of God's nation. But he will come out on top, you know. That's why we don't have to fear these things, you know. When they left Egypt the first time, because it talks about when God gathers his people the second time, it will be like unto the first exodus. You know, nobody got left behind who was God's children, you know. Those who had put the blood on the door, God brought out by a mighty hand. And, um, and I believe it'll be the same again, that God will not leave his own, you know, behind. That he will gather them out with his mighty hand because it's his name at stake and his glory. So chapter 23 of Luke 26, this is continuing on reading about the the death of Yeshua. And, uh, so in 26, uh, it says, <clears throat> And as they led him away, they laid hold of a, one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Yeshua. And there followed him a great company of people, women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Yeshua turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? That's kind of a um, an idiomatic phrase that means um, kind of... Um, in other words, like, if they're going to light a green tree on fire, how much more so will a dry tree be kindled, essentially? This is the idea, this is the idea behind that. There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. Verse 33. When they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Yeshua, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. 
and the rulers also with them, deriding him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Messiah, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And this superscription was also written over him in the letter of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Messiah, save thyself and us. And the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed, just, we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Yeshua, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Yeshua said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Yeshua had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all this acquaintance and his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. And behold, there was a man named Yosef, a counselor, and he was a good man and just. The same had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Yeshua. He took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherewith man, ne, uh, never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came f- with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So... The women obviously knew that the the Sabbath was still in effect, <laughs> and if uh, if it hadn't been, you would think that Yeshua would have made that clear to them, uh, but he didn't because he kept the Sabbath, and the Sabbath never, has never changed, and so we keep it today too. And uh, yeah, so anyway, let's pray. Well, do kidding. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you for this day, for your word. Um, for your death and resurrection and how you laid down your life for our lives that we don't have to be separated from death but that you took that upon yourself and your mercy and love for us um, knowing full well that we would we would be wayward so I just thank you God that you transform our hearts to want to serve you God as we struggle on in this mortal body, I just pray that you would give us strength to uh, continually seek after and follow you and study your word, to live it out and know it, to hear your voice, uh, that we may be a people lifted high above all nations, of which the nations would be afraid because they see that the name of God is called upon us. And uh, not out of pride, God, but out of thanks and for you and what you've done, that your great name be glorified. So I just bless you for all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.